Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Paragon Sports Consulting Podcast. My name is Colby Drost. I'm the president founder. Paragon Sports Consulting is a player advising firm helping players of the ages of 14 through 20 navigate their path to college hockey. Uh, today, we got a special guest, Noel Needham, who uh, runs the Sioux Falls Power Program, Midgets, um, scouted for Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, played at Minnesota State, uh, started her own company in Legends Hockey Elite, um, and recently was named Chicago Steel GM, assistant GM uh, in the USHL. So really excited to have her on. Um, I guess, Noel, how's everything going, I guess, with COVID and, and midget hockey and, and, and your, uh, where you guys are at, and then also as far as the scouting? Yeah, it's thanks for having me on. First and foremost, um, I have listened to quite a few of these and they've all been great and informative. So I appreciate you doing this. Uh, COVID, you know, it's a day by day thing. We've been pretty fortunate just to be able to practice as normal. Obviously, there are protocols, but we've also been able to play. Um, and those events that we've played in have been handled, I think, very well. And uh, very attentive to detail just in terms of managing the COVID situation. So, um, you know, other than things uh, being liable to change like at any second, it's been, I would say, relatively normal for us out here. Yeah, it, seem, it seems like that, especially you guys have played a lot of games at the midget level. And then have you been able to get, uh, I know here and there, I mean, you just started with the Chicago Steel and you were with Toronto, but has that affected any of your scouting responsibilities to date or just kind of wherever you can get to, you get to and just follow protocol? Yeah, the only, you know, the biggest difference, I think, is just a lot of stuff, even with Toronto, like when this all happened back in March and everything, everything transitioned to video then immediately um, yeah. and just an effort to mitigate travel being around people and so forth. So um, still, you know, a lot of video uh, for both and, um, I think that that'll continue for a lot of organizations, honestly, you know, until the new year or until there's a handle on, on the COVID situation. Yeah. I think moving into like taking COVID out of it, like uh, getting into just your experiences, cause you know, I want to get your perspective on a lot of different things, but you know, I guess, uh, you know, obviously like players, you're going to different programs, you're learning, you're changing, your game's adapting. You know, you've had a lot of really unique experiences. You know, you worked in the NHL, you worked at a good midget program, you started, you know, Legends Hockey. Uh, now you're with the Steel. You played at Mankato. Like, talk about those kind of how those experiences have kind of maybe molded you to date as far as your coaching, your scouting, and I guess you're just your culture, you know, philosophical beliefs. Yeah, I think I was very fortunate just, um, and now as I reflect back, now that I'm older, just how special, you know, I went to Shattuck when I was 12. And when I was there, it was a very unique and special group of players that were also there who now in turn are really the face of the NHL, captains in the NHL. And so, you know, going there at age 12, I grew up in a very special culture where everyone was um, extremely motivated and expected to reach these heights and that was the, like the plan and um, you know I didn't realize then and really not until getting to experience uh, different midget programs and then in starting my own how unique that was and I think that that really laid the foundation for me just in terms of 
um, an elite mindset and being in that environment and wanting to be legitimately be the best that I could be. And so I think that has um, laid the foundation and the stage. And then, you know, I've been fortunate to stay in touch and be friends with these guys and to kind of reflect on their experiences and talk about their careers. And, you know, from a player's perspective, I think that's been really unique as well, just in setting me up for the things that I'm doing now on, on the other side of, of the table here. Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously it's like having that growth mindset to get better every day. And I mean, that's, those are types of kids you want to work with too, I'm sure. And I think like speaking of midget hockey, like, you know, honestly, look, I know winning's a part of development and that's a part of the process, but I could tell you, I mean, I've, I've scouted hundreds, maybe thousands of midget hockey games and I could care less at the end of the day who, who wins the game. It's more, you know, I like programs that are doing things the right way. They're developing kids. And this is my perspective, but you know, and I know that day to day, they're they're kind of in that almost like a junior hockey environment, and and it's like a high school for hockey. That's what I always tell people. But you know, I guess you know you you play tons of midget teams. Like, what's your perspective? I mean, what's your opinion on midget hockey today in the landscape? I mean, you've got hundreds of programs at different academies. I mean, what, I'm just curious your take on it. Is it too big? Is it something where we're losing sight of of what this should be really about? I think that it is too big, honestly. Um, I have this conversation quite a bit. And um, and these are also things that I have learned just through our program, you know? Sure. Um, hey, like, <laughs> I think it's a lot of the parents just wanting to have their kid be a quote-unquote tier one player and have that label. And you see a lot of instances where, you know, teams, whether it's a fall team out of Minnesota or, or whatever that are started that are very parent driven because their kids didn't make anything. And they just, they really feel like they need that tier one experience to get to the next level where in, you know, reality, they're very far away from that. <clears throat> so I, I do think that it's too big. And I think that's why 10 years ago you had some really special programs and kids that went that we're going from high school to USHL or high school straight to college. Um, and I know things have changed, but I do think that the level personally is, is watered down. Yeah. And what's like kind of sad about it is like midget hockey is like a huge part of the development model. Right. I mean, like, like, look, especially at the Chicago steel, like you guys have some pretty special players that make that jump at pretty young ages, but a majority of kids, I mean, even data backed shows like a lot of kids need to play U18 or, or high school or prep school. So it's tough to, to see like, you know, uh, all these different programs and some parents might have a good player and they just aren't asking the right questions and kind of get lured into maybe a program that's not really right for their kid. I mean, if you could give advice, obviously being on the other side of it now as a midget running a midget program, like what kind of questions or, or things should a player be looking for if they're you know, going to move away or, or have to sacrifice their academics to do online school? Like what, what should be important to them when picking maybe a midget program? I think the development is first and foremost. Um, you know, I, there's, it's one thing to just have a lot of ice sessions and for programs to promote that. It's another thing to have constructive ice sessions with a plan and, um, you know, a flow throughout the season in terms of what you're teaching and, and what they're learning and at different segments of it. 
Um, I think that that being organized like that as a program is just really, really important. And then uh, to me, like quality of schedule is also a big thing. Um, so those would be the two things that uh, I immediately would look for. And then just being in an environment where you're going to be challenged and not necessarily comfortable all the time. Um, you know, and that's what, that's what I think really helps facilitate development is pushing kids out of their comfort zone. And um, it's okay if they have a bad day, you know, it's okay if they don't, if they fail and just being able to put them in positions to do that. So that facilitates growth just in terms of their game, but also in their mindset and being able and willing to persevere through that stuff. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think too, like some people don't realize, even at some of the, you know, again, my perspective, some of the highest uh, ranked teams or whatever, you know, I'm not big on that stuff, but they're, some of these teams, like they're great and they have a lot of really good players, but I consider them like collections of talent. And like, you see actually a lot of the kids, sometimes they can't take that step in the ladder as far as going to the next level or they play U18 and they have a hard time even translating to junior, not even the USHL because that development piece, that foundation where you're, this midget hockey is where you're going to get probably the most development for that foundation before you kind of get into a, a harsher environment. So I think that is really important. And obviously like experience, like, like you got to have a good school set up, you got to have, uh, you got to enjoy where you're going to be because if not, especially at that age, I'm sure you see it. You guys have kids coming from 15, 16. Like, do you have a lot of parents that, you know, are, are doing their homework on that stuff, like making sure the school's the right fit, the billet, or if it's a dorm setting, I guess, are you having parents ask those questions? Yeah, all of them do. I think it's a pretty generalized concern and, um, you know, structure within, within the schooling. You know, I always tell people, maybe this is just like more of a female's perspective on the game, but, um, you know, all roads lead to men's league, <laughs> ultimately. <laughs> and, uh, and so the schooling piece is very important. And, um, you know, we have, we have good options in Sioux Falls for that. And I know many other programs do too. And I think that that's something that should be a, a question, one of the first questions that's asked about. Sure. Yeah. I think moving into Sioux Falls, like, you know, talk about a little bit about the setup, where it's, where it's exactly located. I, I mean, I know it's in Sioux Falls, but just give people an idea or, or, uh, of what that daily life is like for you guys and how your guys are running the program um, and as far as scheduling goes. Yeah, we have a, a really great setup, actually. Um, Sioux Falls is a great community. Uh, Sanford Health, which is a, a hospital based on Sioux Falls, has invested about $300 million to create this uh, quote unquote sports complex and campus. Um, and they're really big into the sports science of it. So we play in a, a, a three sheet ice facility, which is actually where the Sioux Falls Stampede practices and their offices are located. Uh, we practice there every day from three to 4.15 after the kids go to school. And then uh, about 200 yards away from that is an 84,000 square foot training facility that's got athletic training in it. and. Um, some sports medicine stuff too so they you know everything that we do is um, you know in effort to be at a very heightened level like our kids work out with uh, certified strength and conditioning coaches that have a plan and their groups are split up so it's kind of a small group environment we benchmark everything 
there's a nutritionist that's available to them 24 seven, same with athletic training and so forth. And uh, we do a lot of other things too. <clears throat> We're going to actually start working with uh, Matt Calderoni, um, who I know that you've talked to on here before, and he works at the steel as well, just in terms of uh, mental resiliency and um, just a bunch of different uh, speakers that will have talk and, and come in. So we really work to give a, a well-rounded approach and our, this is our sixth season as a program. So we're young and we have a lot of room to grow obviously and to get better. But I think with our infrastructure, there's no reason that we can't continue to, to move players on to the next level, which for me is, that is the most important thing. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Like that's again, the root of midget hockey development and advancement and everything you guys are, you're always offering these kids more and more and more. And obviously you're doing it for the right reasons. And I think obviously that, that leads to results. Like, could you tell, like, talk about some of your successes. I know you guys have, I mean, some people that aren't tied into midgets and scouting, maybe they don't know the names off the top of their head, but talk about some guys that have come through the program and, and the changes you've seen while they've been there. I, I know you've like Hobie Hedquist and Pasternak, maybe touch on their experiences and development. Yeah, we've had, um, you know, Hobie was from a small town in Southern Minnesota. He's a farm kid and he played three years of U16 with me. Um, he went to the program camp uh, and he didn't make it. So he came back and played 16s. He was drafted by Dubuque, but he was actually able to start the season with them. So he was there for like six or seven weeks. And I think that that worked out really well for him. Uh, the past two years, we moved uh, Dane Montgomery, who's committed to North Dakota, to Waterloo uh, before Christmas. And then Dawson Pasternak, um, who's kind of taken a unique route. Um, we moved him in the Chicago Steel last year, like in October, something November. But, um, you know, off of our 16 team last year, which it wasn't, and I think schedule came into play in terms of rankings on this a little, but, you know, we moved five kids from that team onto the USHL and they're playing. I mean, they're still on the rosters. They're still with those teams. Um, so that's something that I'm really proud of. And just as kids that have come through our program at both the 16 and 18 level, as they play juniors, um, you know, we'll continue to have more college commitments out of that. But, um, you know, honestly, we're not a program that's going to have um, a bunch of agents, at least right now, sending kids here. You know, it's a very different thing. So development matters to stay relevant. And um, like I said, as long as we can continue to facilitate the growth of these players and be mindful that their paths are all different and that their timelines are all different, then that's just that's the job and the priority. Yeah, I think, and I want to get into more about the development in legends hockey, but like you touching on that linear, that linear path, can you, could you kind of give us your opinion or, or view on how, I mean, I'm always telling parents and players and even talking to other guys, like a majority of kids are going to get to college at 20 and, and their timeline is going to be the same, but uh, their path's going to be very different. But how, I mean, for most kids, there's not really a linear path. I mean, would you agree with that? There's a lot of ups and downs and different leagues and progression and even at the junior level. Yeah, for sure. Because you, you know, you have junior teams that all have different philosophies and, and uh, reasons for being there. You know, some teams are 
willing to develop young players and make that a priority. Other teams with their ownership, you know, they are very intent on winning and uh, that might mean that older guys get the job done. And um, so it is, you know, and that's where like being mentally tough and able to kind of work with the ebbs and flows is so important. And I, I love this story. I, I tell it all the time, but I had a friend at Shattuck. His name is Dusty Jackson. Um, he never made the prep team there and he played on the lower midget team. All of, you know, he graduated on the second midget team and he went and played in the NA. And then um, I don't think he played in USHL at all, but he ended up walking on to Denver and going to school there. And after two years, they gave him, um, I think a full ride or close to a full ride. And he was an assistant captain. And I just think that's such a remarkable story because um, he comes out of this powerhouse and he could have very well been labeled as not good enough because he didn't make the top team and he just kept working and wasn't too prideful to walk on somewhere and he just kept earning it. And um, I think that in midget hockey, especially as and social media and, and how that kind of, steamrolls everything it's just such a valuable perspective to realize where you're at as a player and to work on the things that you need to get better and to not judge yourself or your position by what you're seeing on social media and stuff I I just think if you can get that down then you always have a chance yeah I think that's the hardest thing especially with social media and some of these hot like hockey markets like just keep blinders on and patience and, and put all your energy into your own development. And, and you take it day by day, month by month, year by year. And it's like, next thing you know, it all adds up and, and it's probably going to work out for you. You know, whatever that, yeah. whatever that is. Right. It's like, yeah. um, I think too, moving back into like the more, and that's a great story. Actually, I looked him up. He played five years at Denver too. I don't know if he was injured the one year or something, but great, uh, great uh, part of adversity and also the mental toughness. And I think one other thing I wanted to touch on was with, the structure and stuff like you guys, like like Sioux Falls, like people don't realize we just had Joe Martin on, who's in, who's the coach of Alberni Valley. Like he talks about how one of the biggest transitions kids have is just that daily structure and, and the commitment that they're asking of the kids. So if you can get some sort of model of that at the midget level, like you're going to kind of know what you might be walking into when you get to the USHL or the BCHL or the NHL. So I think that's important for parents to do their homework and know, you know, is it something that's modeling, you know, a higher level because that's what it's supposed to be, right? It's supposed to prepare them. I would, would you agree with that? You know, as far as the next level? Yeah, absolutely. And it, so much of it with these kids is time management. And on the flip side of it, a lot of it is parents, you know, not doing it for them and allowing their kids to learn how to manage their time. Um, not making excuses for them, but just, you know, understanding that this is a step that they have to take and it's something that they've chosen and this is what it's like from here on out. I mean, just because you play midget hockey doesn't mean that the next level is not structured or that you don't have responsibilities. So I think that uh, being in an environment where it's organized and clear cut structure and they know what's expected of them totally prepares them for the next level. I think uh, moving back into kind of uh, the Legends Hockey Elite where you started and tell us a little bit about that, what it's all about, and then we'll get into some questions about uh, spring and summer development. 
Yeah, we, we do a variety of programs. Uh, the elite side of our company works more with uh, kids that are focused on playing tier one or playing juniors or college or preparing whichever stage that they're in. Um, we have a pretty powerful goalie camp that we do as well with some NHL guys. Um, and that's been awesome. And then we have a youth side to it too, just like association skills clinics and, and so forth. But um, this year, I think this summer, we really put a f- emphasis and focus on taking this to the next level. Um, and that really came into terms with the video that we provided and the curriculum. And we actually partnered with uh, Troy Stevens, who's out of Minneapolis, and he's worked with Diane and Andy Ness for a long, long time. And then he has his own NHL clientele. He does some video clipping and stuff. But he and I, um, I worked on a criteria, and then he and I went through the 12-session or 16-session criteria with it. And then he created videos that he clipped and stuff for it. So there's about 10 to 15 minute videos uh, emphasizing exactly what we were going to work on on the ice. And then we parlayed that into their workouts in the summer. So everything was kind of correlating around what the emphasis was. And I think that that made just a tremendous difference. And um, we've had, in addition to that, I'll go back in a minute, but in addition to that, we did a lot of emphasis and focus on hip mobility this summer. And that's been really interesting for me just because I've never like focused as much on it as I did this year. And I, I think the growth in the players, like it was so noticeable from doing some of this stuff. And that was really cool. Is, is um, that, just to cut in for a second. Is that stuff that, that you guys have seen as like kind of as kids come up the ladder today, as like a deficiency in, in, in a, across the general population or just something that, you know, the curriculum kind of focused on? Yeah, I think it's, well, I was talking to uh, Zeb Knutson who played in Sioux Falls, USHL, and then he played at Mankato. He had a really good college career and um, he was helping out and he was watching this video on hip mobility. And, and even when I watched it, I mean, Troy cut, I think like seven examples from 15 minutes of one NHL game of the usage of hips in just all these different capacities and how that transitioned into their skating and gave them an advantage. And uh, he was watching it with me. He's like, man, I, we never worked on this stuff. Like, he's like, I don't even know if I can do this stuff, (laughs) you know, and he's a really good college player. He played, I think a year or something on the coast, but I just think it's evolving so much and people are really beginning to focus on these little details that really create separation. And I mean, even for me, I've, I've never like counted in a game how many times players have utilized their hips to give them an advantage with their body or uh, an advantage with their skating or, you know, uh, controlling the puck or whatever. Um, so that was really cool. And I think that made a big difference. And so for us, like, we're just trying to continue to find ways to help players improve and, and become more well-rounded. And these guys that are training with us that are in college and that are moving on to pro, you know, helping give them that 1% advantage that just gives them 
a leg up. And then in turn with all of this, I, they can really feel themselves getting better. And I just think no matter what level you're at, the confidence derived from this is, is so, so important in success when you, when you start to play games and so forth, especially with the pressures at the higher levels. So, um, you know, we just try to be really attentive to detail, I guess, in, in summary. Yeah, I think, I forget who I had on, but it was someone, a uh, pretty good coach, and uh, everyone's been pretty good. But uh, he was saying, like, today everybody's got these, you know, they have nutritionists, strength and conditioning coaches, they have skating coaches, but, you know, every anything you can do to give a competitive advantage or, or a new skill and, and obviously master it somehow over time, that's that's kind of what the game's becoming because everyone's good, right? It's like what separates the good from the elite. And, you know, you guys working on stuff like this that kids aren't exposed to, like that's that's probably where you want your kid in, right? A program like that that's trying to push push the uh, the standard so kids can, you know, have these new skill sets and things like that. Do you guys do much as far as, um, you know, kids come in uh, at Legends Hockey and is it kind of like a residency program where they're in for 12 weeks and you guys are hitting them with off ice, on ice, you know, nutrition, all kinds of things like that? Yeah, I think we have a program that does run that extent. Um, it's eight weeks. Uh, they skate twice a week in the skill sessions and they're in small groups. And then um, additionally, we have a session where it's just for them to scrimmage and play shinny and kind of utilize what they're working on. Um, and then they can do lessons with pro ice and stuff if they want more ice time. But uh, in conjunction with that, they're also – in a strength and conditioning program uh, in these small groups. And there's a, there's a plan for that as well. Um, now, sometimes like college kids come in and they can only be there for four weeks and that's fine. Like we amend that. And, you know, sometimes they have their strength program from schools that they want to do instead of the group thing. And that's okay too. Like we just get them a membership to the, the field house or the, the gym that we use um, so we're flexible in terms of that, but, you know, I've had a couple college kids that skated with us, did the whole program this summer and their coaches have called me and been like, like this kid, he's completely changed like his trajectory just from the work that he's put in. So I think the thing with this is it is intense and it's very detailed and it's structured. And if they're willing to really buy into that the consistency is what makes the difference within it. Um, and they can feel that. And, you know, we could be talking about 23 year olds that, you know, last year were upset because they got scratched a couple games and they had a really good freshman year, but their sophomore year was not very good at all. And, you know, their coaches um, were pretty hard on them and then they come and train and they build that confidence back up and they feel good about the work that they've put in and, and what they've learned. And then they, it, it has given them an opportunity to kind of revamp their collegiate careers. So, um, you know, we can make whatever works for the athlete and so forth, but obviously like throughout the summer, it is consistency is important. Yeah, and bringing it back to, and I think this is probably bring us full circle on the spring and summer development, but constantly like I'm always telling parents like they're they're doing the the junior tryout tour they're playing in the tournament in Boston and I'm like 
you know, if you're going to budget three, $4,000 a spring and summer, I'm like, go get better, right? Go get better. Consistent training. So obviously your model's like on steroids in terms of that, but maybe just generalize like, you know, how important that off season is obviously after some rest from the, from the long season, especially midget hockey today, you know, how kids can really make gains, you know, if they want to showcase their ability and how they've gotten better. I mean, it's going to come that following season. And, and where do you put that time in, you know, as the spring and summer and maybe things that kids are at 14 to 18 are kind of really missing on when it comes to, you know, off season training. Yeah, it's, it's so important. And I think, you know, USA hockey has this message that they send out, you know, take a break, don't play all summer. Uh, play another sport and everything. I don't think that that's really feasible for anything. If you want to be great uh, personally, I mean, I'm not just talking about sports. I mean, you don't just do something for like four months and then take three months off and then expect to get a promotion and be a CEO or whatever. Um, But I, you know, take the break after you're done from the long midget season. um, And you don't have to work out you know, eight, 10 hours a day, but you do have to do something consistently uh, throughout the summer. Now with our training, Fridays are Friday, Saturday, Sundays are always off. Uh, They get done like Thursday afternoon. So they have their weekends so they can go to the lake. Uh, We try to do stuff, you know, some of it actually depends on work schedules because a lot of these kids will work or whatever too. But we try to do stuff so it's condensed. So they'll skate and then they'll work out or watch video before we skate, they work out. And then if there's a speaker or something, then they'll get that in. So it's it's condensed into like a three hour, three and a half hour time period. Um, I personally don't think that that is that much time to dedicate to your craft that you are investing so much money and time in. Yeah, sure. uh, Um, like, I just don't think it's a sacrifice personally. Um, and no one can tell me any different, (laughs) like, like I'll take that to my grave. So, you know, three hours a day dedicating to getting better at something that you want to do and then move on to the next level, uh, it has so much more value than going to like these junior camps where there's eight, 10, 12 teams and it's five days long and there's seven cuts with it. And, you know, these people, these coaches have never heard of you, but they got, you got an email from them on a list and they really want you to come to their main camp, you know, like. <laughs> well, they, and I mean, assistant coaches and, calling the recruit kids for <laughs> and stuff. It's like, go ahead. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah. And they, you know, and that's how they make some extra cash because they don't get paid a whole lot. Um, in junior hockey to be a coach. So I understand like the business aspect of it and those things need to happen, but from truly like a player development side, and if you want to get better, like that's why you pay to play tier one during the season, you know, like to get that exposure and stuff. So take the advantage of the off season and just go to town. I mean, just get stronger, get faster, get bigger, more confident, you know, revitalize your skating, if these NHL players, like I just read an article on David Backus and, and his skating, uh, who he worked with all summer. I mean, if these guys are forced to improve their skating, I mean, be better skaters than them right now. There's so many options and opportunities and great 
training programs and brilliant coaches all over the country and North America. I mean, if you're going to invest in this, then invest in what really matters. And to me, that's in the weight room, that's shooting pucks, that's watching film, uh, that's being on the ice, just working on skills and competing against kids versus getting all wound up and then honestly emotionally distraught. I was just going to say tryouts. the highs and lows of it too, right? It's just, and it takes yeah. away from the time you actually put in the developing because you're upset, you got cut, you're frustrated. And I always tell people, like, just do the math. Like, there's only so much time. Like, let's just say you've got a solid 12 weeks to train and we just look at July and you've got 30 days. And I'm like, all right, you're going to spend 10 to 12 days at tryout camps. You're going to have to rest probably at least three days. So there's, there's probably 15, maybe 18 days if you're tr- flying somewhere. You know, it leaves you 12 to 15 days to train. I mean, that's, you just wasted half the month, you know, playing bad shitty hockey somewhere, right? Like, so. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think it's interesting. I think I'm glad to hear you hit on that point for people because it's, it is really important. Like you're going to get exposure every year. I think I, even with COVID, I'm like, look, get better right now, whatever your season looks like. Because the only important thing is when people are back in the ranks, like they want to see you, that you, you get improved, right? You're a better player than you were yesterday. And if you're doing that, people are going to notice. And, and if you have a good support staff, people will realize that. It's just you got to put in the time. And, and like you say, it's a sacrifice. Like I get what you're saying. But if you really love what you're doing, like these, these it's, it's like your job, right? You show up, you love it. Like you, I don't think you probably every day, you're probably like, oh, you don't even know you're working because you love it, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So moving into like Toronto, like, like, like just to talk about some now, we're going to get into a little scouting and prospects and, and I guess kind of to – progression of development like you know maybe just before we get into some questions nothing crazy like talk about your role with Toronto you know who were you scouting um you know what what kind of games are you going to just so people can understand some context yeah my area was primarily the USHL draft eligible kids um for the upcoming draft and then I did a little Minnesota high school just like over the holidays the tournaments and stuff and then um a little NA, uh, but USHL was, I guess, primarily my area with them. Nice. And I mean, when you're scouting at that level, I mean, obviously within whatever you're allowed to talk about, I understand, but maybe just generalized, you know, what, what are you looking for? I mean, like, obviously you're, you're, I guess you're projecting out, but you know, what kind of things at least would you be looking for, whether it was a high school kid USHL kid I also be interested in hearing like you know how would you uh, you know obviously playing a kid playing USHL it's very different evaluating a kid who's playing high school who maybe is flying around doing whatever he wants because the level isn't as competitive you know maybe talk about how you kind of would uh, sift through that as well yeah that was a, an adjustment just because um, you know the high school kids you know some teams they play are good and some teams they play are not and that they might have like seven points in that game, you know? Um, So it was really deciphering like what qualities does this kid have that is going to translate to higher level and ultimately help him be successful at the NHL level, which was a priority. Um, I think for, for me personally, like intelligence is so important in how I value the game and how I value and appreciate how it's played. 
Um, now there's so many different philosophies and discussions that can go into this. And I think every organization has a different criteria and preference of player. And you totally see that. Like, you know, Dallas, for instance, they're a big team. They've yeah. got big, big players. Whereas Tampa Bay was very successful with a guy like Braden Point, and he wasn't very big. Um, so, you know, some of that comes into play. I think what I learned with Toronto was just, I learned so much there. Like, I'm just so grateful for the experience and the people I was surrounded by. But uh, just the attention to detail and when evaluating these players, like how much it mattered. You know, so yeah. you invest all this time into watching these players and it matters that um, this kid has good body language or it matters that he is consistent and shows up every game, you know, um, and that to me, I think, and just with how I'm wired personally, I, I really enjoyed that because I think to be successful uh, you have to make the most of every opportunity. So um, that played in as much as people want to focus on just the on ice stuff. I think just the mental side of things too, and, you know, the IQ, but how willing are, are they to conceptualize um, different ideas and apply those things to their games and translate their practice habits to the game habits and, and so forth and what are they like in the weight room and you know I mean we called strength coaches that had worked with these kids for three years and gotten details on them so um, it's just all of that stuff like the, the conversation that we've really had up to this point in terms of training and everything when evaluating them for the NHL like that stuff it, it hey it, it matters and that's where I was gonna that was my next question was on the background like you know, everyone, I mean, when you're looking at NHL prospects, you know, obviously there's different tiers of them as far as rounds and stuff. But, you know, talk about, too, like how those little, I mean, you've kind of touched on it, but that background homework, it could really, I mean, it could drop you. It could put you over someone who maybe has a little more talent. I mean, how important was that stuff, at least to you when you're doing your homework? And did, is that what really separated maybe the guys that were great to really good to good? Yeah, absolutely. Does that, does that uh, make sense? The, go ahead. Yeah. Like with my time with Toronto, like I was a very big uh, fan of Nick Abrazizi and he was an, an older player that, that got drafted and went through the, the draft and everything. But um, his mentality is so special and uh, he's a smaller player, but like his intensity to learn is off the charts like he's, he's a brilliant kid. Like he's really smart, but like he took learning and gaining knowledge and being hungry to do, to do that to a complete new level. And um, so for me, like I just, I really, I think anybody that is like that has a chance to be successful in anything that they want to do. Um, so that plays a part and then you've got kids that have been touted for a long time that have kind of been put on this pedestal by whether it's their agent or an early commitment or, you know, they play juniors at a young age because there's a lot of hype surrounding them. 
and two years go by and all of a sudden they're not drafted and they're decommitted from their school and because they got really comfortable. Um, you know, that's another scenario that you see. You see uh, kids that maybe made some really bad decisions in high school and through the scouting process and evaluating for the NHL draft, that stuff comes up and it raises questions on character. Um, so there's just like so many different facets that go into evaluating players and evaluating them for a long time, because a lot of these kids you see, you know, they create buzz at the, at the midget level, U16 level. And then juniors, there's buzz about them and, and all of this and how they handle those three years really um, from the time that they either have an early commitment or start juniors to their draft year uh, to when they go into college. Um, it's, it seems like a long time, but it really isn't. And there's a lot of kids that either make themselves uh, and put themselves in the conversation, or there's a lot of kids that fall out of the conversation because they just feel like they've always been in it and this is just going to happen. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Like when you're at that point, there's just so many things that tip the scale and it's, and you guys, obviously everyone, NHL and, and even moving into like the USHL last thing to change gears on with like Chicago, obviously now your assistant general manager. Um, and obviously you guys are still doing a lot of the stuff we're talked about. You guys are doing there, obviously with Ryan Hardy, um, you know, talk about before we get into specifics and drafts and all that stuff. And I know you're just getting started, but talk about what your role is going to be there as the assistant GM and, and kind of what you're going to uh, take on as far as responsibility. Yeah, I'm excited to have the opportunity to work with Ryan and just the entire staff with the Chicago Steel. Um, I think it's a pretty special place. I'm going to do, I'm going to be director of scouting um, and get to work with the, the great scouting staff that they already have set up there. And then uh, in addition to that, just uh, work with Ryan on drafts, trades, um, anything, you know, league issued and just take the opportunity really to learn um, you know, the, some front office stuff and, and hopefully translate that and, um, you know, make myself better and well-rounded and continue to learn more about the game. So like, you know, I'm always, I'm talking to parents and kids all the time. And I, obviously I know how good the USHL is. I know I've watched games, you know, there's people out there that are like, Oh, why not my son? And, and this isn't like to, I'm not to, to rag on anybody, but just to hear it from you, can you – obviously, you watched a bunch of games for Toronto. I know you live right over by a team. Like, can you just describe, like, how good the league is and how it's actually – how much better it's becoming every single year? Uh, it's so good. <laughs> uh, it's really good. And, and you – you know, um, I think that people – don't really appreciate the strides that the league has made, especially in the last five years. Um, but these kids are, you know, they're strong. They can fly. They can uh, contribute and think the game quickly. They can compete at a high level day in and day out. And, you know, we go back to, I know, and I keep bringing this up, but the mental side of it, like they also have to be able to persevere through maybe they they are put in the stands on a Friday night. Uh, 
and then they have to come back and play like good to earn earn their spot on Saturday um, to continue to stay in the lineup. And it's it's rigorous as well. I mean, there's strength and conditioning every day. There's skill sessions. There's video. There's practice, and everything is being done at a at a high level, but. I think just the number of kids that continue to be drafted in the NHL out of the league and how that continues to climb. And in addition to that, just the level of college commitments in the league, obviously, I mean, it's really, it's really hard to be in it, honestly. And and mix in the Europeans and Canadians, which is getting better every year too. I mean, it's, I mean, you have some pretty high end imports coming to play now. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't, and the thing that parents probably don't realize, and I'm sure it's because they're so invested in it, but like your kid has to, has to be ready to play there or else you'll ruin them. Like it, the experience will ruin them if they're not ready. And I think, you know, in terms of preparation and taking that step, it's okay if they're not ready you know, go play in a different junior league to build that confidence and then go play there the year after, after you've developed for another year. Um, you know, I don't know of anyone that wants to, would choose to play juniors for four years. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think, you know, as these players and as parents, um, you know, talk with their own kids, like just, be prepared to be there so you can be successful when you're at that level uh, to really reap the benefits of that level. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like it goes back to like, get the linear timeline out of your head because the only thing you need to make decisions on is based on your development. And if you're getting better and then figuring out what's the next program I need to get to, you know, out of, uh, you know, like U16 hockey, there's a fork in the road. There's going to be very few kids that take that step to junior and a majority of kids are going to need something else. And if that's U18 or prep school, okay, we'll go through that decision-making process, figure out what's best for you, and, and it's going to help you bridge the gap to that junior level. And like you said, even from there, there might be a progression of junior leagues. Maybe you go to the BCHL or AJ, and that's where you go. But I, I don't think people realize, like, if you look at the USHL draft this year, I think it's like 71% of the top five rounds came from different junior leagues. And it's like – that was what was best for them. And, and those, some of those kids aren't going to come because they want to stay where they are, but like, that's just normal. That's just how it works. And you know, if you look at Fargo, like I think their goalie is first time getting an opportunity to use the gels. Like he played two years of U18, he played for Bismarck and now he's in Fargo. It's like, there's no direct timeline. It's just figure out what you need to do for your own development. And I, I think that gets lost in it all the time. I don't know if you've seen that, but people just don't make decisions based on timeline. It's more on, you know, I need to be here because it's, this is, I'm this age and I should be in this league. And if I'm not, it looks bad. You know what I mean? Or. Yeah, totally. And I think that goalie, he's a 2001, isn't he? I think he's a 20 year old, 2000. I think, or 2000. Uh, yeah, I think both. Of, yeah. I think both goalies there are 2000s, um, which is crazy because we're talking, you know, the U16 level this year, 2004s. So, yep. you know, now next, now this season, there'll be 2003s that are kind of entering the league. But again, we're talking about a three-year difference and a guy that's taken that, that long route and um, had pretty good perspective with that. And as a 20-year-old, he's going to play in the best league in, in the U.S. and um, help 
prepare him for division one, which is going to be another step. So, yeah, I think just uh, having patience and kind of understanding that it is a tough league to get in and there's a lot of players that want to get into it um, is monumental. But again, like you don't want to be there if you're not ready because you're going to look much worse than you probably are. Yeah, and, it, and, and, and just, you know, like people are always going to ask that question. Well, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, he wasn't ready, but why, why couldn't he stick or whatever? And it's like, just get there when you feel comfortable. And, uh, you know, typically, you know, I don't know if dominating is the right word, but, you know, when you do really well and you're ready to take that step, you know it, right? It kind of flows and it, and it fits and there's a plan. And usually your organization, if you're protected or you get drafted phase two, like you're, they're drafting you to fill a role. So it's up to you at that point, if you're 18, 19, 20, to come in there and maintain that spot or, or wherever they're projecting you to be, you know, in that top nine or however the team's building the team. But I mean, touching on, I know like you just started with the steel and stuff, but you know, you've been on both sides. Like I, I know you've worked with a lot of USHL teams. You're, you're having kids drafted USHL from Sioux Falls. Like obviously now you're going to be drafting kids for Chicago you know, what, what kind of advice would you have for kids with the phase one? Like, obviously, you know, just some insight, you know, parents, I think, and kids are always like, well, I didn't get picked. Like, geez, like they're upset. They think it's the end of the world. You know, what, what kind of insight could you give on that process? And also like how it really, for a lot of kids, doesn't really mean much. Yeah, I think if you are drafted in the phase one, that's a great thing. Um, you know, a lot of the players that we've had, success with in Sioux Falls have actually been phase two picks um didn't get drafted in phase one um or if they did they've been drafted late uh I think that if you get drafted that's great um you know it gets a foot in the door but ultimately I don't know what the statistics are but you know majority of them don't actually end up playing for the team that they're drafted by if they do make it into the league at all so I think, um, I don't know, it just comes with perspective. And yeah. if, you're playing, if you're playing the game for the right reasons and you just truly believe in yourself, then I, I think those things take care, of, take the care of themselves in their own time, um, honestly. And the phase two draft, um, you know, is great there's like 29 rounds of it. And at the end of the day, like the lists have to be cut down to 30 or, you know, 40 man protected list or whatever. So with all the picks that there are and players drafted, it's still a very small window. And at the end of the day, teams want players that are good, that will help them win, um, that they feel they can move on to the next level. And, and I think that if you just continue to work to put yourself um, in the position to be those things that you'll get chances. Yeah. I think too, like keeping it in perspective, like 15 year olds, like, you know, there's obviously some teams in the league that do a better job than others. And that's just whatever, just by chance or by them putting in the work or just different philosophies. But I think what I would say is like, you know, they're 15, like your son could be three years from now, that kid, you know, never even steps to plays a game in the USA jail and your son, you know, he's playing, you know, he's getting drafted by Cedar Rapids, Chicago, whatever, and he's stepping into the lineup. And one kid, like, when I was in Dubuque, we had a kid, no one even knew who he, who he was. I mean, well, two kids we could – I mean, there's a bunch, actually. But guy like Reese Gaber, no one even knew who he was. You know, he's up in Manitoba. Like, he was better than most of the kids probably drafted in the phase one of his birth year, right? So it's like 
it's kind of irrelevant. Like you said, it's a foot in the door, but then it's, if you do get drafted, it's like, what do you make of it? Right. You know, getting better and goes back to what are you doing year to year in the off season. But I mean, as far as like Chicago, like I said, I know you just kind of started with them, but they've had a lot of success with the phase one and, and they have a little bit of a different model than, um, you know, most teams, I think in the league, at least, at least I would say, you know, maybe touch on maybe some, whatever you're allowed to obviously, but concepts of, of what they're doing there differently, maybe compared to other other teams in the league? Yeah, I think the priority <clears throat> with Chicago, and uh, this isn't to like say that it's better than any other franchise or whatever, sure. but just what they prioritize um, is the development of players. It's actually very similar to like the NTDP model. Um, they invest a lot into skill development, video, uh, strength and conditioning, ice sessions, practice. Um, you know, they're at the rank from nine to five, uh, doing online schooling there, but also just meetings. And so it's actually a pretty intense schedule for the players there, but um, they prioritize younger players and their development and moving them on. And, um, you know, that's different than a different philosophy than, uh, maybe other teams. So I think the success in, in their drafting and Tristan Musser, who is their uh, director of scouting and assistant GM, he just was hired by Buffalo. Uh, he and Ryan have done just a fantastic job with the draft um, and prioritizing really intelligent players and not being dissuaded by maybe their physical uh, stature at the current moment. Um, you know, really looking to identify players that are maybe physically underdeveloped, but really intelligent and looking more towards what they can be. So I, I would say just really, if anyone that has watched Chicago and like what they've done, um, that would be a pretty good summary of like their philosophy and, and what they want to do and achieve as an organization. Yeah, listening to Ryan and obviously all and him tweeting on on Twitter, um, you you see like there's all the stuff that a lot of the players that they've had, the elite ones, the really good ones, all can play the game. And and there's a lot of things that maybe when they're drafted, at, even at 15 or or sometimes 16, 17, like things that you could teach them, right? You can't teach them how to play and think the game. And, and they have some really, really high-end IQ guys. And I'm always excited to see, you know, who they're picking and stuff because it's interesting to see their their take on it. Um, but, no, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about everything, giving us insight across all different levels. I guess just kind of to wrap this thing up and bring it full circle, I mean, what if you had any general advice or something you would tell kids at the midget level, you know, what kind of advice would you give them just, you know, whether it's on development, you know, playing day to day, you know, midget hockey, whatever, you know, kind of give you the last word and, and we can kind of uh, close this thing down. Yeah, no, thank you. And I, like I said earlier, I appreciate you having me on. I think my advice would be um, for the players to surround themselves with good people um, that are willing to give them good advice. Uh, despite sometimes maybe it not being what they want to hear and just making the most of their experience, staying focused on themselves and their development and their game, not getting all tied up in the hype of other kids that maybe they compare themselves to 
and just like really enjoy this time period <laughs> within it because I think it's just you know it's a great age to play hockey and to get better and you know there's not very many worries and um, you know you can make the most of it you can be as good as you are willing to be and I think if players take that responsibility upon themselves then they can play this game for a long time. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, and we talked a lot, a lot of intense, detailed stuff. And it's one thing that gets lost in this is having fun and, and just playing the game. So, again, really appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, good luck uh, next weekend. I guess you guys are off. So, uh, like I said, uh, really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks, Colby. Take care.